10, 5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State. Deflected into the hands of Feltz, Avery for three, hits, cover is safe, the Red Wolves have walked it off. Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else. Matt Stoltz and Brad Boba. An extremely special guest in studio today. One of the all-time greats at Arkansas State. The career leader in assists and steals for A-State men's basketball. He's also eighth on the career scoring list. Two-time Sunbelt Player of the Year and was the point guard for the 1998-99 team that went to the NCAA tournament. He's All also right. in the A-State Hall of Honor. Is that a good enough introduction, That's Chico Fletcher? Pretty much so. <laughs> By the way, he did all this stuff. Not bad for a kick returner. Because that's what, <laughs> what a dude showed up to do, right? Absolutely. Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> well, we're thrilled to have you in because we want to go through the whole story. Yeah, and I throw out all those numbers and accomplishments. I mean, is there a personal accomplishment at Arkansas State that when you hear it, that's the one you're most proud of? I mean, us making it to the tournament, that was just... uh, That's not personal. I I knew you'd go team, but... Well, personal, well, when I did uh, sign at A-State, I said I was going to be one of the guys to turn things around and and make history and do something that people would never forget. I think us as a team and putting that time in, I think we did that. It was 25, 26 years later. We still talking about that team. So I did say that if you can go back and look into the archives, I did make that bold statement. My guess is that it was easy for you, no matter what you were playing, it was easy for you to play it with a chip on your shoulder because of your size, right? I mean, I'm sure people – Absolutely. Like, everybody's going to tell you you were, you were too small to do the things you were doing. Absolutely. That was that was the biggest uh, one for me. I just knew is, you know, you can't judge people by their size. You got to judge them for what's beating in their heart every day and uh, the will and determination. And you always got to have something to uh, tick you off, so to speak. And that was it. <laughs> that was it. And also saying coming from Osceola, small town, we couldn't do nothing or I couldn't do it. So, yeah, that was great inspiration. So this dude's like, I mean, not really, but I could say, you know, he's another great reason why I didn't come up as an athlete. Because let me tell you what it was like to be the life of a kid at Green County Tech. All right. All right. So we're in at the time, a league is called the the 3A East is what that conference was at the time. Now, from a football standpoint, four teams made the playoffs, right? Well, you had Clinton Gore, who A-State fans don't coach at Osceola with dudes like Chico and Jonathan Adams and 14 guys named Littleton, and they were were beasts. David Barrett. Yeah, yeah, on and on and on. (laughs) Then you had the general, Don Campbell at Wynn, and, you know, rolling through all kinds of dudes. And one time, they, you know, had Jerome Stegall and Antonio Warren mm-hmm. and D'Angelo Williams and Tab Slaughter. Then you had Coach Keedy at Newport, yeah. and he had Leslie Ratliff and Justin Brown and this one and that one. And so, literally, you had the other five. Like, they, there were two separate things going on. Those three teams were always settling first, second, and third amongst themselves. And really, it's just the fact. The other five of us were playing for fourth. Who, out of the rest of this group, who could be a four seed and have to go play a conference champion on the road to playoffs? Because it was the best you could get to. Oh, yeah. That 3A East was – it was something. <laughs> a one, two, three could be number one. And even uh, sometimes the number one wasn't the number one team. Yeah. 
in that 3A East, the terrible East, I used to call it. And I remember hearing those stories from Coach Keedy. But, you know, here we are talking about football. So was football your your first love? Football was because I felt that they had more people. And I felt like if they can't hit you, then you can succeed. And I excelled at that because I didn't want to get hit. I didn't like to get hit. wasn't scared, but I just knew how to maneuver. But... Yeah, football, I loved it for the physicality. I loved it because of uh, more opportunity, so to speak. But I say this about Joe Hollis. We lost in the uh, conference tournament to Jacksonville when I was playing, walked on the basketball team. And I wanted a couple days just to clear my head about, you know, what we did because we lost to a team we should have beat. And I'm a competitor to the core. And I asked him for like just two days off. And he was like, if you don't want to come and work now, then I'm taking your scholarship. So I said, okay, well, I guess you're going to have to take the scholarship from me. So I went and talked to Coach Nutt about it, and I was kind of down. And he was like, what are you down for? You got a scholarship right here. And the rest is history. (laughs) All right. So kind of backtracking just a little bit. For those who are unfamiliar with the story, because as you mentioned, it's been over 25 years since all this went down. One of the greatest players in the history of the A-State basketball program actually came to Arkansas State as a football player. So tell the story. You came to play football, but you got injured when you got here, right? Yeah, I got injured in the first playoff game against Harrison, and I tore my rotator cuff, and I played the whole playoffs and state championship game with a torn rotator cuff. And uh Coach Bobo, he told me the scholarship was mine. I'd be a receiver, slot receiver, kick returner, punt returner, and I accepted the scholarship. But during that summer, I came over here with uh, Ron and had surgery and rehab with Ron, Carol, which Mm -hmm. all y'all know, and uh, got back right. But unfortunately, Bobo had uh, ended up getting fired, and Joe Hollis came in and after that, he did go on record to say this to me, which I kind of lost a little respect for him. He didn't want Bobo's trash anyway. So I was like, it was kind of wild and, and crazy to say, but he was coming off a big year with Eddie George and uh, Ohio State. So I guess he was feeling high on that, but that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And like I said, I was hurt because I wanted to do both because I really wanted to show people that it don't matter how big you are. If you work at something and you can be good at something, you can do it. And uh, he kind of took that away. So after that, I put all my work into basketball. So from the get-go, though, your intention, you came here with the intention to do both. Yes. Coach Nutt and Coach Bobo was on the court. All of us was on the court to what I was wanting to do, and that was part of me signing to do both. So that was the intention. You came to Arkansas State. On a football scholarship, but you were going to walk on and still play basketball. Absolutely. As a freshman, though, you come in as a walk-on, and I'm sure you turned a lot of heads with how much playing time you were getting out of the gate. When did you realize that, hey, I belong here? I realized that. I was watching A-State, and I was watching Michael Marsh, and I was watching the things. I kind of knew a lot of things about the team before I even got on there, and I knew that Michael was a shooter, mm-hmm. and he needed a guard because he could spot up and shoot. He couldn't do that when he had to be a facilitator. So I knew that coming in. I knew we had Jabari. I knew we had Mark Keeney, a strong post guy. And I just kind of put myself into that mode. I don't think Coach Nutt really 
thought I was going to blossom that fast. But after that first practice, he knew that I potentially could be starting real soon. We know how it turned out, so tell the truth. And Coach Nutt was on board with doing both. But even before this thing happened and the football scholarship went away, did he go, hey, Chico, you're playing real good over here. Are you sure you go back over and play football? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he said that when I got into the starting lineup. He called me in. He said, you sure you, you don't want to play? You, you know, you want to stick with this? I said, I still want to play because that's what I want to do at least a year to see what I can do on that level. Again, like I said, we knew how I planned out. Uh, I still was going to play football at least for a year, but everything happened for a reason. You went 15 and 12 your freshman season. That's after the team went 9 and 18 the year before. Could you sense after that freshman year that this program was headed in a really good direction? Oh, yeah. We always knew we, was, we had a good team. I mean, the 97 team with Michael Marsh and Jabari was our best team. But I think losing to New Orleans in that first round kind of put a bad taste in all the returning players' mouth. So that summer, we worked extremely hard and pushed each other. And even the coaches was out there with us. It was kind of crazy. They was even running sprints sometime. So once we saw all of that happening, man, we just knew that we had something special. That sophomore season, you go 20-9 and nine and had a seven-game win streak late in the year. But you dropped the final two games of the regular season, losing the first round of the conference tournament. And, and I've heard the same thing. A lot of people say, hey, that was the best team. That was the team everybody was expecting to go to the NCAAs. I really think that team with a good draw, we probably would have won a game in the tournament with the leadership we had the shooter we had an inside presence outside presence we had Freddie block shots we had a depth with Eric Beatty but uh, like I said you know the good Lord has so many things that plan out differently and it didn't plan out that way but that next year like I said we stumbled again losing kind of in that same fashion again and we took upon ourselves to uh, say that we weren't going to have that taste in our mouth again and we ran through the tournament. And I think a lot of that kind of uh, happened because Coach, when we was 29 that year, he kind of punished us. We practiced hard like it was the first day. And I think our legs ran out on us. But then after that, that next year, we were relaxed. Hey, we lost the game. We watched film on it. We let it go. And we just clicked. Ran through the whole tournament. I remember Coach Nutt talking about that years later when I was working with him, 2005, 2006 season. He talked about it, how you know he kind of learned from that season. And he wasn't going to go as hard towards the end of the year to try to save legs, I guess. Yeah, we was a step slow. But again, he just tried to, to motivate us like he always did. But I think a lot of us learned that because a lot of us changed our eating habits close to the end of the year, things like that, et cetera. And we were light, flat-footed. I think all the other teams were a step slow by the time we got to the end of the season, which that's what it felt like because we breezed through that tournament. I think we beat everybody by double figures. Yeah, and this was going to ask. I mean, you know, you guys had gotten tripped up the other times, so you hadn't been there before, but you guys played like you had. How did you kind of do what you did to folks in that tournament run? Well, like I said, Louisiana Tech and uh, Louisiana Lafayette, they were the favorites. And when we went into the conference tournament and we had media day, I told the guys, I said, they're going to get beat. One of them teams going to get beat. 
because they cocky. They walked in like they already wanted. But we all know at that time of the year, it's one and done. Everybody's hungry. But I sensed some cockiness in them, and I'll be darned. Both of them lost. They lost to West Kentucky and La Tech lost to uh, FIU that year. Mm-hmm. And once that was said, and this was some motivation with me, Carlos Arroyo and Roger Bell uh-huh. on that team. Carlos said that this could be the first time his parents see him on national TV when they win the tournament. And they kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Like, <laughs> you got to come through, through, through us, you know. I was player of the year that year, and I was like, you got to come through us to do that. And that was just extreme motivation. And I think we just dismantled them real quick, you know. And that was just one of the things that added fuel to the fire with us, that we felt like this was our tournament, this was our time, and we done it. Talk about breezing through the tournament. All three wins in the tournament were by at least 17 points, including the win over Western Kentucky in the championship game. That was in Lafayette, that Sunbelt tournament. I'm sure that feeling of cutting down the nets is I always, one you're not going to forget. I'm not, but we always play. We lost down there, but we shot well in that gym. Yeah. And everybody was excited that we were playing the conference championship in Lafayette. So that was also a good thing. That was like a shooter's arena. It just felt like, like you said earlier, that we weren't used to being in that position, but we felt like it was our time. What are the nerves like going into a championship game? When you end up winning by 17, but, I mean, as you said, a lot of dudes in other conference tournaments know they're playing for seeding. Like, if they lose, that's okay. That wasn't the deal. It was – this is all or nothing. It's either you're going to the big dance or the season's probably over. So what was mindset and what were the butterflies like before that one? If you don't have butterflies before any game, something wrong with you because that means you ain't you ain't anxious and you ain't ready. But our mindset, because we had a day to sit around, all the guys sat around the pool and we were just talking about what we need to do, what we're going to do, how we're going to attack them, how they're going to try to play us. And we just got on one accord and told us the work ain't done to it's double zero. And we're in the win column. No matter what goes on, no matter if this person ain't shooting right, this person game ain't going right, we're going to stick together. And I think that's what we did. And a lot of that was without coach. You know, we wanted to put Jonesboro on the map and be a part of something special. And we talked about that, and we done it. We even reiterated to the fact that the first time we uh, had our summer drills, where we was running in weight vests up the hill and how hard we worked and, and all of that, we, we relayed back to that to this point. So here we are. Let's savor the moment. How much pride do you take in being part of the first team in school history to go to the NCAA tournament? Oh, man, I take Great deal of pride in it. Being from Northeast Arkansas, being right in my backyard, the school that's right in my backyard, even the guys that I even recruited, C.J. Pepper, uh, Eric Beatty, Deshaun Denson, Jeff Hollywood, they could have went anywhere in the country, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But when they came here on the visit, I told them, hey, man, we're going to do something and go to the NCAA tournament with y'all help if y'all come and play with me. And it happened. Unbelievable feeling for all of us. It wasn't just – for the team, it was just for Northeast Arkansas, period, because, you know, Arkansas get all the kudos for being in the state, but during that year and that time, it was a great time for Northeast Arkansas and all the other alumni. Now, nobody's ever going to take away you guys being the first, but I know you're tired of you guys being the only one so far. I am because it's talent in Northeast Arkansas. We got to get them something to be excited for to stay, and during that time, we didn't have it, and I was that. 
by being from here, but yeah, I'm tired of it because it should be a, a yearly thing. Just like football program turned it around and was going to the, to a bowl game consecutive years. Why not the basketball team? You played Utah in the NCAA tournament in 1999, and that was the same Utah team. Well, very much the same team that was in the national championship game the year before. You lose the game, but you had a team-high 21 points and held Andre Miller, who went on to have a great NBA career, to just eight points. What was that experience like playing in the Superdome? And I know we had a big A-State crowd there to support you. I mean, I was glad that we got... Brad was there. He's holding up his hand. I was was glad we got that draw in New Orleans so people could come see us. I was afraid they was going to send us far out west or somewhere. But as soon as that happened, you can ask Mark Tucker. I said, hey, I'm ready to play right now. It's kind of crazy. I used the approach from Muhammad Ali because I was playing a, a psychological war when we was always having a... The press, it would always be me, Andre, Wally Zerbiak, all those yeah. guys that was Man. in the press room. And I would just stare at him. I was just playing mind games. I bet he thought I was crazy. <laughs> I was staring at him. He, he would say something. I said, you're not from Compton. You're not from California. You sound like you from, you know, just saying little stuff to get in his mind. And I think me not being afraid of him, coming from a small school, it kind of made him be tentative because as soon as we got in the game I told him you can't run now you know I was just saying stuff from Muhammad Ali how he used to play with the minds of, of he his probably opponents. thought you were nuts I, well, I believe he did so you guys are sitting there on selection Sunday and you get your drawing right everybody's gonna be hooping and hollering but I want to know how many seconds did it take before your mind sort of drifted from it's Arkansas State versus Utah to it's Chico Fletcher versus Andre Miller immediately <laughs> I mean, because I felt like I always wanted to play the big teams to see where I was at. And then the fact that this is going to be on a national stage with him being in the championship last year, what other way to do it? It was kind of like, hey, David versus Goliath situation. And I felt like it's time to show what I can do and what my team can do on that stage. What I remember about the game, I mean, it's like, I mean, I think it's something like 80 to 58, maybe the final, but it, it didn't seem like there was ever a big monster run. It was just sort of a slow, steady thing. They had all that bunch of size, but Rick Majerus had to take a timeout. It's 13-4 A-State at one point, right? And he has to call timeout. Oh, yeah. They methodically wore us down with their size. They got some calls down the stretch. I hate to say that, but yeah, they did. But they wore us down. They were deeper than us. I think we started trying to play their game, running off screens, stuff like that, which wasn't our strength at the time because we were were running guns, spot up and shoot team, and they just wore us down slowly. Like I said, it it wasn't nothing that they just did sporadically. It's just in bunches they scored their little points, got to the free throw line, and got stops on us. When we play today, we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies. We win our tomorrows. Wherever we play, wherever we fight, Wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. 
Simmons Bank, member FDIC. This is Coach Brian Hodson, and I'm asking you to help our A-State student-athletes by donating to the Impact Club. This organization helps our program stay competitive and supports our student-athletes by facilitating NIL agreements that allow them to endorse local charities. Make a monthly commitment and get access to team newsletters, special gear, and exclusive access. Find out more and give today at impactclub.com. That's impact spelled I-M-P-A-C-K-T club.com. Your support makes a real difference in the lives of our student-athletes. Wolves up. Visiting with Chico Fletcher here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. You had a good A-State contingent at the Superdome that day, but hey, you were used to playing in front of big crowds at home back then. We called it the Convocation Center back in the day, and you look back and some of the biggest crowds in the history of the program came during your tenure here. It was not uncommon to play with a crowd of between eight and 10,000 at the Convo. So what was it like as a player? Because we haven't seen that in a while. What was it like as a player to step in that gym and play in front of that kind of crowd? Man, it was great to have Northeast Arkansas behind us. Not only that, we led the, the Sunbelt in attendance all four of my years. It's a great feeling to run out there and see everybody cheering for you and follow you on the road and at the hotels whenever you uh, step off the bus, especially in Superdome. It was it was just a great feeling. But again, you gotta you gotta recruit some people that's from here. You gotta have some names, household names, where you gotta get people to come see you, and then you gotta produce. Unfortunately, over the years we weren't having that, but we had some great great players that come through here. What was your favorite home game? Oh, no question, Oklahoma State game. Oklahoma State, Baylor, them, and all the Little Rock games. Yeah, the second biggest crowd in A-State history after the opener against Memphis way back in 87 was the 98 game on Valentine's Day against Little Rock. You had over 10,000 in that game. I think 10,312 was the official attendance, but... You know, that was such a fun rivalry, and obviously they're not in the Sun Belt now. Fortunately, that rivalry is still in place in the non-conference, but that was oh, a yeah. really big deal. Yeah, it was. Back then when they had uh, well, Montreal Diamonds, Wimp Sanderson, the legendary Wimp Sanderson coach, Malik Dixon, Derek Fisher. I didn't get to play against him, but I, I seen them play. But, yeah, it was, it was some good games, good times. Which game did you jump on the scores table or the press that, table? That was South side? Alabama. That was the game winner against South Alabama. And uh, coach came over there to the bench, and he was like, Chico, what you want to do? I just say, hey, one for a low, get everybody out of the way. <laughs> I had a bad shooting night that night as well. But I knew once we got that stop that uh, I was going to have confidence to make that shot because Coach Lutner, we always do a countdown, five, four, three, two, one and practice those situations on pull-up jump shots. And it was just tailor-made like it happened. Did you say Coach Little Nut? That's Dennis, Dennis Nutt. Yeah. We called him Coach Little yeah. Nut. <laughs> Could that guy he shoot? was the littlest one, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he's, a, he's a big big deal. My shooting went from people bagging off of me to coming up on me. That helped me score a lot my junior year. You mentioned a lot of your teammates earlier, but some of the A-State greats in, in history played with you. You mentioned Freddie Hicks, Micah Marsh, Antonio Harvey, C.J. Pepper. I mean, obviously those are some big names, but what kind of bond have you guys been able to maintain over the years? Oh, we, it's a brotherhood with us. I talk to Tonio. I talk to Freddie all the time. 
Freddie is just like a brother from another mother. We played against each other. By the way, I was going to say because and, uh, everything we basketball. said about everything we said about football didn't mention it. One of those five was Mariana, which meant when basketball time came, you had Freddie Hicks in the league too. Oh yeah. So, so we, they already played against each other in the same conference. Yeah, we and that that was one of the reasons I came to A State too because Freddie was getting recruited by Larry Finch at Memphis. He was about to lean toward Memphis. And I said, man, if I get a chance to go to A-State, you go to A-State, I get a chance to go to A-State, I'm, I'm coming with you. So that was kind of like an under-the-table thing that me and him had because we had a bond together playing each other in the East, 3A East in basketball. All right. We're talking about Freddie Hicks. Freddie Hicks is back at Arkansas State. Freddie Hicks Jr., that is. And Coach Hodson was in here about a month ago, and on this very podcast, he talked about getting Freddie to come to Arkansas State, and he said that you played a role in that. And I know you've been working with Freddie Hicks Jr. for a very long time, dating back to his days at Cersei, and still do work with him. So talk about how you were able to help out in that process of getting him to to come back here to A-State. It was his decision. It was Freddie's decision. I believe if we'd have recruited him harder, he never would have left State. But... With that being said, he went and got some good tutelage from uh, Bill Gillespie, Coach Gillespie, and, mm-hmm. and he was hard on him. And I think at the time, Freddie needed that somebody to be hard on him and treat him as if he wasn't good at the time. Which I mean, he knew he was good, but uh, it was particularly his decision. Mm-hmm. And I think the camaraderie and the fact that he was back at home kind of played his part because he he didn't kind of like Texas. I think. And uh, he was just a homebody. And uh, the guys on the team welcomed him, and he felt like he was home. And we didn't even know it until the day of. And he said, hey, I'm coming to Arkansas State. I'm coming back home. So all I just told him that if you want to create a legacy and you want to do something special, why not do it at home? So you have a lot of sense. Yeah, that, uh, you know, you said Freddie Sr.'s like a brother to you guys talk all the time. Obviously, the rest of us haven't had that opportunity. So, what's he think about junior playing at A State? Oh, he he likes it. I mean, he he kind of Fred is kind of laid back, man. He works on the farm. He got bought him a lot of farmland, and he he's working on that. He just want what's best for his son. I think he knew that uh, coming back home, playing in front of his family, that it'll be a big part. And then not only that, he had a tremendous talk with Coach Hodgson, and he felt like. Coach was a good coach for him, and it was a good fit and a good system for him. Because a lot of us, can, we can go to those big schools just like Arkansas wanted him, but it wasn't a good fit. I don't think it was a good fit because you see the guys that they recruited now. All of them need the ball. All of them need to score to be productive. And Freddie don't need that. You know, Freddie going to make the right play. He going to score when he need to score. He going to rebound. He going to defend when he need to. We just got a hidden gem with him. You and I were talking about it even before we started recording, but you've seen, obviously, Freddie in practice, and you've been able to spend some time with Coach Hodson. I know you're really impressed with him and this new coaching staff. Talk about what you've seen so far from Coach Hodson and what impresses you about him. Oh, this is a new sheriff in town, no question. He has him playing fast, aggressive, physical, and he's a no-nonsense guy in practice, meaning it's like a time machine. Everything's on a time, 
And that type of uh, mentality creates discipline. It creates a, a brand and style of basketball that's going to create a various amount of opportunities to score and get mismatches, The way how fast they play. I only say our weakness might be not having a, a true big, but the offense that he's putting in and instilling in them, that's going to take the place of that because they're going to have a lot of mismatches with how fast they play. The term now is positionless basketball, right? Everybody on the floor needs to be able to hit a three-pointer or take a shot there. So how would it have gone if you put Chico Fletcher in, in this style of play? Oh, man, it'll be exciting because <laughs> I like to push it anyway. And pushing the basketball is going to give you great opportunities. And a lot of teams don't like defending that. And uh, I can have a whole bunch of assists in this in this <laughs> offense, easy. And with lobs. And, and I didn't like to throw lobs because I didn't like to turn the ball over. That's one of the things that I didn't do, but I probably should have did it more because I had Freddie and a lot of high risers. But – I wanted to make the right basketball play, but Caleb and those guys, T4, they're going to have a, a whole lot of opportunities to throw lobs, and they practice that as well. That was a difference that I seen. They actually practice it, and if you don't throw it, you're going to get penalized for it probably. You know, you talked to you ran through all the records and asked him which one yeah. meant the most. One that doesn't really get talked about it is the number of minutes you played. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was like a career record coming down. I mean, remember late in your career, all the talk was about the, I mean, you never came out. I didn't understand that, but uh, I just trained for it, though. I run extra after practice because I felt like, you know, I needed to be on the floor at times, but I did feel like it was times where I could have got a rest. <laughs> but I learned to rest on offense. You know, I call a continuity offense where – we can pass and cut and, and get a breather. But I do that with my kids that I train now. I, I try to teach them not to drink a whole lot of water, just wet your mouth and just be in top condition and can have yourself conditioned. But it's just like a boxer. Most of the time, the boxer is not the best fighter. He's mm -hmm. the best condition. And if you're in condition, you're going to land punches when your opponent is tired. And that's how I kind of took that approach. In my experience here, just being around coaches all these years, you said that there are probably some times you could get out. And especially if you look at games you guys are winning. To me, the very last person in any arena, any time, that thinks a game is in the bag is the coach ahead. They never think a game is in the bag. Yeah, and I see that because I did that when I was coaching. I didn't take my son out, who was my point guard, because <laughs> I wanted him to handle the ball. But, yeah, I could see that. But, like I said, it, it, we had great players that I just think Coach trusted me the most because I was more battle-tested than everybody else that we had at the time. Tell us what you're up to now. I know you're living in Osceola. And, you know, what's cool, and we kind of referenced it earlier, is the fact that you're – back involved with this A-State basketball program, watching practices, trying to help out the team however you can, but uh, let everybody know what Chico Fletcher's doing now. Like I said, giving back is a priority. I think all alumni should do that, but me personally, Arkansas State is close to me because it's close to home. I feel like you know anything I can help or say or do to get the team back where it should be that keeps us competitive and keeps some of these guys at home to know that it's okay to stay here and go to school, get an education and play in front of your, your parents. And uh, 
right now I'm working at Big River Steel. Been there six years. Mm-hmm. I was in Georgia for 17 years, you know, raising my two kids. They got degrees. Both of them went to college, got degrees. My son is playing in Brazil, professional football right now. My daughter is living in Texas. She's a accountant. Now I'm back focusing on me and my other kids are grown. And so I'm working there and then I'm doing training on the side, basketball training, breathing training, all that type of stuff for athletes and just giving back as much as I can and try to stay busy as much as I can. And yes, coming to watch more practices, trying to get involved and just get back in touch with the community. I always ask great players who do it this question. Whether it was training or when you first started coaching and it was a youth team, whatever, did you struggle at all with the notion that you were coaching dudes that couldn't do what you could do? I mean, a lot of great players a lot of times don't make great coaches because they can't grasp the concept that people can't do what they do. Exactly, and that's why they struggle because they try to put themselves in another kid's shoes. I, I never did that. I got the best out of whatever kids can do, and I tried to – Keep them and keep it as simple as possible. That they, If I had a good kid that could rebound and just lay the ball up, I worked on that with him. Penetrating and throwing it to him and, and letting him get the feel of the ball. Or if I had a score, I would tell him, hey, you need to dish the ball more. Like, do something more than you can do, and that equals a good nucleus for the whole team. And uh, like I said, I have been around guys that's good, and their sons wasn't as good as them, and they tried to – Push them and push them and then end up pushing them away from the whole game. Well, this has been an absolute thrill being able to catch up with you. Man, look forward to seeing you at a whole lot of games this year. Oh, It'll yeah. It'll be a fun season. I'm going to be there. I, I say this every time I pass by someone, if I'm in the mall or I'm back at home, they're saying they talking about ASU basketball and excited about the basketball and football program right now. And that's good that we got a buzz going on, and hopefully those guys can stay healthy and they gel together quickly and uh, do something special. That's Chico Fletcher joining us here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We'll wrap things up right after this. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards. Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. So get more control, more convenience, and more peace of mind with your Simmons Bank debit and credit cards. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member Red FDIC. This is Demario Davis, proud Red Wolf and linebacker for the New Orleans Saints. And I'm asking you to help out our current A-State student athletes by donating to the Impact Club. This organization helps our program stay competitive and supports our players by facilitating NIL agreements that allow them to endorse local charities, make a monthly commitment, and get access to team newsletters, special gear, and exclusive access you won't find anywhere else. Find out more and give today at impactclub.com. Thank you, and Wolves up. How much fun was that, hanging out with Chico uh, Fletcher? It was a lot of fun, and like I said, I could have had a whole you know offshoot of a different conversation. He's a class behind me. Yeah, I think he was a 96 graduate at Osceola. Anyway, so I got to you know, watch him coming up, and uh, man, it, he said he liked the physicality of football, but he didn't like getting hit because you can't hit what you can't catch. Um, some other A-State news this week. A-State soccer hiring two new assistant coaches. Brian Dooley announcing the hires of Katie Smith and Megan McClure, 
the all-time great goalkeeper who just graduated here in the last couple of years played, for the Red Wolves. Played professionally and then uh, getting their, her coaching career started. So, you know, just like uh, Carlisa May, who we visited a few weeks ago, you got one of the greats in recent program history coming back as a young coach. I think that's awesome. I love seeing it. And then, you know, the other addition, Katie Smith, or something we hadn't really talked about is it made possible because uh, soccer, like baseball, is now able to have three full-time assistants. Obviously, that soccer team going in a really good direction right now. And, of course, they're back on campus now, along with the volleyball team. They're going through workouts. I know we've been talking a lot about the football and basketball teams being here, but soccer and volleyball gearing up for their seasons as well. One thing we started talking about and and talked about in depth last week was the creation of – the new bracket celebrating the 50th anniversary of Centennial Bank Stadium put together the list of the top 16 games. We got through the first round last week. It's down to eight games. You can vote, I guess, through Thursday again. Is yeah, that, through Thursday again. That's the plan. And then one thing that I know we were talking about off the air caught my attention when I saw who won the games last week i knew there would be some upsets but a bunch of upsets in the first round yeah so three double digit seeds won the 10 seed was that nevada game you know back in 93 when arkansas state honestly we didn't mention it in the breakdown here but a state in that game scored on the final play of both halves including the get you know the game winner with zero on the clock and they won 23 21 that's right, right. okay uh, so it you know knocked off a seven seed which i quite honestly may have predicted but then you also had you know the other two upsets were uh the 12 and 13 seeds both winning the 12 seed is that 2011 game against Lafayette mm-hmm. when they came in eight and two and we went in that game seven and two and major championship implications in that game yeah and uh the one that I'm going to chalk up to just recency bias is that the 2014 overtime win against Utah State knocked off that game we talked about last week where Joe Duran hit from 63 and 56 at the horn in the same game i think uh, that was in 1974 and i think it fell victim to a little recency bias i can see that on the flip side of that that utah state game is one of my favorite games i've ever called it, it was a blast just the way that game ended being able to see artez brown block that field goal at the end of regulation and then the game-winning touchdown freddie knight throwing the touchdown pass and i'm it's escaping me who caught that touchdown pass, but uh, ended up winning that game in overtime. I think that's the last overtime game that's been played at the stadium, and that was nine years yeah, ago. 2014. So, uh, but those are the three upsets. So you do have the one eight, and the by the way, the eight nine was as close as you'd think an eight nine would be. It was tight, but then as it happens, the the other quarterfinal and that half the bracket is the twelve seed against the thirteen seed. So one of those two is going to the final four to get trounced by the Middle Tennessee game. We've got July madness <laughs> in the football stadium bracket contest, and then the other the the seeds held. This will be an interesting one here. Because that other one, you know, beating uh, Grambling State and Eddie Robinson, kicking a field goal and five seconds left to beat Grambling State in the 85 playoffs. And it's up against that 47-3 to win over Memphis. 
where we outgained them 611 to 169. That's a quarterfinal matchup. So be interested to see how that one shakes out. And then the talk about the 10 seed that Nevada game went in. Uh, it's up against the Memphis comeback okay. from 07 in the other quarterfinal. Good matchup. So get online, astateredwolves.com. Slash stadium poll. And you can do that through Thursday. Yep. Anything else we need to discuss? No, I just think you really see activity picking up. I mean, not just uh, in our offices, but, you know, on campus, you know, media day coming, you know, you're setting up photo shoots and designing and printing schedule posters. And, you know, you'll see announcements about game themes. And I was meeting with folks on campus today about order of the pack and themes for the student section. So it's uh, business is picking up, as Jay Hard say. Right around the corner. Can't wait. And again, want to thank uh, our man Chico Fletcher coming in. Really, really enjoyed that visit, and thanks to Mark Taylor for setting that up for us as well. For Brad, I'm Matt. Have a great week, everybody.